Morning. So Marlon asked several weeks ago if I would be willing to preach this Sunday, and um, he suggested maybe using something from uh, the Bible study that Hannah and I lead from this past fall. And uh, many of you know uh, we've, we lead a college Bible study and host a study up in Ely. We've, uh, we're in our 10th year of doing that, and God's worked in our lives a lot over those 10 years. He's also, I think, used us in a lot of, a lot of people's lives over these 10 years. And I think the last couple of years are some of the most fruitful and productive years that uh, I've seen. And I think some of that has been, you know, just with what's going on in the world around us and, and just all the unsettledness and unsteadiness. Uh, college students are, and hopefully everybody, but they're looking for truth. You know, they're looking for steadiness. They're looking for what, uh, what is the purpose and meaning of life. And, and I think they like coming into a house where, you know, there's no restrictions. They can come. They can have fellowship. They can um, just feel welcome there. Um, Adam Robb, he, he came and I asked if he would come and guest speak back in mid-November, kind of an assist during my busy deer season. Uh, if that name is familiar to you, he and his wife, uh, our church supports them. They are missionaries. They're, they work with crew in Duluth uh, in the Twin Ports area. And there's some family history with, with the Robs and my family. And um, so we keep in touch with them. And, and he, was, he, he brought a message uh, back in November about the cost of following Jesus. And, you know, after this message that he brought, that, some of the things that he brought, just it, it, it wouldn't leave my mind. It, it was really on my mind. It was in my heart. Um, and when Marlon asked, uh, if I, it, it was clear to me basically right away, this is what God wanted me to talk about. Um, and, and just thinking about in my own life, what, what is the cost to me? What, what does God want from me? What does he want me to give up? Um, and it's not, it's not always an easy thought process uh, to go through that. And, you know, it's really, it's kind of bothered me at, at times thinking about this topic that what I read in Scripture and what I see are so often so different. And, you know, in America, we're a very materialistic culture. Um, and it just, I, th- I think we'll see as we go look at some of these passages, you'll maybe understand where some of the struggle has, has come from my end. Um, and, you know, I probably am not going to be able to tell you just what your cost is going to be, but what we can do is we can look at the Scripture and we can see what the Bible says and we can see what Jesus thought about it about the cost of following him. Uh, so let's open up to Luke 14. We're going to start there. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Just the first few words here. It says, Now great crowds are traveling with Jesus. We see that at different times in Jesus' ministry, right, where he had popularity. He had big crowds that would follow him around. It was usually after 
healings, you know, where he fed people, you know, different things that were, it attracted crowds. It would make people be curious. They were following him. And oftentimes in those situations, he would say something or do something kind of unexpected that would make people not follow him. <laughs> uh, doesn't really add up to what we often see, right? Like, we just... You know, churches today, they go for numbers and they go for getting people in the door. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we still need to tell the truth about what it means to follow Jesus, right? Uh, so what did Jesus do here? He, it says he turned to the crowds. And, and look at what this message is that he gave them. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, to every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple, or does not renounce or leave his possessions cannot be my disciple. Um, So he starts with this example of building something. Uh, Keith. You're thinking about building a house. Do you sit down and count the cost a little bit first? A lot of, a lot of thought and preparation going to that. I was hoping Brian would be here today. They built a house a few years ago, and he did a lot of it himself. He put a lot aside during that time, a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of energy. He didn't just, you don't just decide one day you're going to build a house and go do it. You think about it. Um, or the second example, there, the odds aren't very good there, two to one, right? Uh, there's going to be some strategizing that goes on in this case and decides, okay, can we even go to war and win, or do I need to do something else? There's wisdom here. There's, there's thought that goes into this. There's a process where you don't just go on a whim, um, And then he goes on to say in verse 33, in the same way. So in the same way as these two examples, you have to think through this. You don't just decide and and not not count the cost. You don't, you know, he uses the word hate early on. But it's this idea of what are you going to put first? Are you going to put Jesus' interest first or are you going to put the interests of family and relationships and ambitions and, and all those types of things and possessions. Uh, verse 33, he really hits on the possessions. Seems kind of harsh. It's kind of a strong message there, and we wonder, okay, is that literal? Did Jesus really mean it just like that? Is this, do we got to look at a different context? Um, so let's answer that. Let's look at a couple more places. Let's go to Luke 9, 57. 
says, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus responds to him. So this person came to Jesus and said they're going to follow him. Jesus didn't seem real encouraging here. He didn't say, all right, come on and bring all your friends with you. He said, foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Um, Seems like he was encouraging this person to really think this through, right? Again, not necessarily looking for numbers or popularity. Um, He encouraged them to think it through, just like the last passage. But then Jesus says to another person, follow me. And what's this person's response? They say, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But he told them, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. It's interesting, I, I have a Bible note in here, and then I read some commentary on this. And it said that this person's father was not necessarily dead. Kind of like, hey, I'm going to put this off for a while. Like, I want to follow you, but let me do some other things first. Let me get some other things in in order or whatever. Um, you know, how often do we put that off? Do we say, look, I'll follow him when I'm in high school, or I'll follow him, you know, on a fresh start in college, or uh, when I get married, maybe then I'll start following Jesus, or when I retire, then I'll have more time. I can do more for Jesus then, right? Uh, Maybe a New Year's resolution, which if you do that now, that's all right, but don't wait until 2023 to make a New Year's resolution, resolution to follow Jesus. comes back to priorities, right? Uh, Jesus is saying, you can't tack me on. How often do we see that where, where it seems like, you know, people want to tack Jesus on to their life uh, or put, put that relationship on the back burner with him? And Jesus is saying, no, that's priorities here. Let's go to Matthew 16, 24. Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. So you have this interesting concept here, right, of you're losing, yet you're gaining. Um, you find your life if you lose it. And it talks about, in verse 26, this idea of, of possessions. What, what will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? So priorities again. If you're going to go after possessions, if you're going to go after ambitions, what's it going to gain you in the end? It says in verse 27 that, that there is a reward, right, uh, for, for what each person does. So you get this idea of, you know, the real reward is eternal life. 
that is the, etern- you know, the, the eternal reward. But you get this idea of a cost up front, but a benefit on the back end, right? And we're going to see that today as we go through some things. But we've read several passages. You can't say this is out of context, right? It's, uh, Jesus is requiring some things here. And, you know, it's not an isolated teaching of Jesus. And cost could be a number of things. Cost could be family. You know, I, I think about uh, my best friend back in high school and college. Uh, grew up with him. He, the gal that he ended up marrying, when they started dating, she wasn't a believer. She had come from a, a Lutheran background and been baptized as an infant and uh, confirmed in the, the church and things like that. And she realized that she had never made the decision to follow Christ herself. And she did that. And part of that... It was she wanted to be baptized in a biblical way, you know, to show that she was a follower of Christ. And that caused a real problem with some people in her family. Her grandmother wrote her basically a hate letter, like, you're leaving the family, you're leaving the faith, you've done all this. And she decided, you know what, my relationship with Christ is more important than the relationship with my family. And I'm not sure, you know, I don't even know if her grandmother's alive, but I don't know how, over time, if that relationship healed or whatever, but at the time, that was a cost. That was a cost to her, but, but she made a decision on behalf of Jesus. So cost could be family members, it could be relationships, it could be, you know, we've read about possessions several times already, it could be possessions. It might be personal ambitions. I, I remember when Adam came and gave this message at Bible study, he talked about how, he had personal ambitions. He had gone to college for a particular career. He had career goals. And Jesus changed his heart, and he called him into ministry, and he's doing college ministry. He gave up what he had planned to follow what Jesus had prompted him to do. Um, it, reading these passages, it sure seems it need, like, like it needs to cost everyone something, whatever that is might be something different for each of us, but it needs to cost everyone something. You know, I've never made a decision on behalf of Jesus and looked back on it as a bad decision. I don't know anybody who has. Um, again, cost up front, but blessing on the back end. One thing that Adam did uh, at, at this Bible study was he used some examples of decisions in his life, and I thought that was really helpful. <clears throat> And I wanted to share a few things from my life. Um, so I, I, I came to know the Lord as a, at a young age. And in high school, um, I was different. You know, I didn't drink. I didn't swear. I didn't go to parties. But I wouldn't say I necessarily thrived in a lot of areas either. I think there, in a lot of ways it was more of just a, a survival, but... You know, I still had that desire to kind of fit in and, and whatever. Um, and when it did come to time for me to go to college, I did. I looked at that as a fresh start. And it seems like such a small thing now, but back then I, I remember, you know, I was going to be ha- having a roommate, you know, staying in the same room. And, and I, I had the desire that, you know what, I don't care what people think, but when I come, you know, like when I read the Bible in the evening, I'm just going to do it in front of them. But that terrified me at the time. Like, like what, what is this person going to think? And, but, you know, I went forward with that. I did that. 
college was a period, uh, I think, of growth in a lot of areas in my life. Um, when I got my first job, I was working as a cop by Catholic, as a bachelor, and I took that scripture passage literally about, you know, where it talks about cutting sin off and being willing to cut off your hand or whatever. I knew that I shouldn't have internet when I'm living alone. Um, I figured if I don't have that, I'm not going to be tempted to look at things that I shouldn't, right? So I made that decision. I didn't. And I look back at that period of, of my life, and, and I can see a lot of things that the Lord did in my life, uh, a lot of growth. After I met my wife, um, so I was living and working up in northern Minnesota. I grew up in southeast Minnesota. My family, when I went off to college, everybody else had moved away from southeast Minnesota. I had no interest in ever going back to southeast Minnesota. I had no, no plan to ever leave the Northwoods again unless, you know, maybe for my dream job, if I had to start someplace else or whatever, I, I would have. But I had no plans to leave northern Minnesota. And not long after we got married, I just I felt like, you know what, it's time to move on. It's time to go somewhere else. And I put in for Olmstead County Sheriff's Office, which is the county that I grew up in where I thought I'd never go back to. And the Lord opened that up for us, and he, he made us get excited about that. And, you know, we had some marriage problems early in our marriage. We had some difficulties. And I look at that. We only spent a year there. But I look at that year, and I see, you know, there's several things that happened in our lives. We had our, uh, Natalie and, and, you know, God did things in our lives. But I look at that particular aspect of our lives, those marriage issues that we had, and the people that God had around us. Like, we were there for a reason. Um, and then I got my dream job uh, well, that I'm doing now in, in a, loca- a desirable location. And, you know, part of the, d- I, had, I had my options uh, to go a lot of different places in the state. And one of the reasons why we came up here was the potential opportunity for college ministry. And when we moved up here, we jumped right into that. And Again, we're in our 10th year of that, and, and just we've, we've really seen God work, and he's worked in our lives, and maybe we weren't the best equipped at the time, you know, when we first got up here and started doing that, but, but we, we decided to follow what the Lord wanted us to do. Um, you know, I look a, a few years back, uh, had a, we had a, I had a co-worker that passed away. He was a real young guy. I think he was 26 years old, a real tragic accident. And I just really felt the Lord was prompting me to offer the family to speak at the funeral. And I, I was thinking, like, oh, maybe read some scripture, you know. Uh, nothing too crazy, uncomfortable, but uh, I offered to do that. And next thing I knew, I was being asked uh, to share, to, to do more than just read scripture. And I felt like the Lord really wanted me to share the gospel at that funeral, and talk about intimidation. <laughs> uh, you know, I had 150 co-workers. Basically, every co-worker that I had from around the state was there. Um, numerous other law enforcement officers, uh, you know, family, friends. This gym was pretty packed. Um, but 
but I did. I was obedient to, to the Lord, and I spoke at that funeral, and I shared the gospel. And, again, even looking back on that now, it's like, scary, you know. But um, I, I certainly don't look back at that and regret it, you know. Um, but my point is there's decisions, there's opportunities that come up in our lives. They change with maturity, right? One of the first examples I gave you was such a small, seems like such a small thing now of like, oh, am I willing to read a Bible in front of somebody else? And as you grow and as you mature, those things change to the point of, you know, maybe having an opportunity to share the gospel in front of hundreds of people. Um, but all those things are important. They're big at the time, right? They're important steps in your, in your story. Um, let, let's go to Matthew thirteen forty four. Just a real short parable here. Treasure in the field. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. So let's, right off the bat, let's just get, make sure we're not getting focused on what this is not. Okay, this is not, he's not extorting somebody. He's not saying, hey, I was walking through this field and I found this treasure and I quick covered it back up so that the person whose field this was doesn't know about it and now I go buy this because it's worth so much. No, that's not what he's saying. I think sometimes that can be like, you know, maybe if you don't even think about it that way, it still comes across that way. So that's not what this means. What this means, this person, when they understood what, what eternity, what, what eternal life, what the kingdom of heaven was like, nothing else mattered, right? None of their possessions mattered. So very joyful. He was willing to just go get rid of what he has uh, to gain eternal life. And it's worth way more. A lot like Luke 14.33. Remember the first one you read about renouncing your possessions, giving up your possessions? seems like, again, that we have to give some things up. It's more than just a mindset. Um, it's not just bringing Jesus out when it's convenient. It's not just tacking them onto our lives. This, this parable seems a lot like Zacchaeus, like his response, right? If you remember that story, when he met Jesus, Jesus was, it was so exciting for him. It wasn't like, oh, man, now I've got to go repay all this money that I've extorted people, you know? He's like, no, if I've cheated somebody, I want to pay them back, and I want to pay them back more than I cheated them, and this stuff doesn't matter anymore. I want to follow Jesus. That's, that's what this is like. Versus, if you remember the story of the rich young ruler, um, you know, he came to Jesus. He came to the right person with a good question, what must I do to have, inherit eternal life? And, and remember, Jesus hadn't died or rose again yet, so what was the response? He said, you need to follow the commandments. You need to keep the commandments. And he said, look, I've done that since I was a kid, since I was a youth. But Jesus knew his heart. And he said, you need to go sell what you have and follow me. And what did he do? He turned away. He was sad. He was convicted. But he wasn't willing to do that. So you kind of have that opposite contrast there, right? This, this person in the parable, Zacchaeus, rich young ruler, it's a decision. 
Uh, let's go over to Matthew 19:29, And this immediately follows the rich young ruler. And Jesus' disciples, you know, he, they were kind of having trouble grasping all this because Jesus talked about how hard it is for a rich person to get to heaven. And, and Peter says, look, we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? And in verse 29, Jesus says, Everyone who has left houses, brothers or sisters, father or mother, children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and inherit eternal life. Don't need to be an accountant or a financial planner to know that a hundred times, that's a pretty good return, huh? Anybody had a hundred times return on an investment here in this life? Probably not. If you did, that's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. But a hundred times, that's a real good return on your investment. You know, I think about, you know, all over the world there's persecution of Christians, right? If you get that Voice of the Martyrs magazine, there's a map inside that you can fold out of the world and you see all these countries where Christians are persecuted and we don't have a lot of it but I think it's coming. But you look at this cancel culture and all that's going on, the censorship of things. What's being censored today in America? It's truth, right? It's biblical principles. It's Jesus. Um, It's truth. That's what's being censored. And, you know, I've got a friend who, he got canceled right out of his job. He lost his job because he was willing to stand up for Jesus. And, you know, he was with this organization for a long time, and they were embracing all this genderism and transgenderism and sexuality and and everything that's being pushed and pushed and pushed, and he wasn't willing to bow to that. And he he was canceled right out of his job for it. Um, It's difficult, but he doesn't regret it. And I look around at what's going on and it's like, are we going to be willing to stand up for what's right? Are we going to be willing to stand up for Jesus? Or are we going to just kind of go along with the flow because we've got to keep our job or whatever? It's like, well, do we really trust Jesus or not? Because it's coming. And it's, and it's here. And... and you know, I, I heard something just recently. It was very interesting. This organization that does surveys or what, whatever, they, they pay attention to, okay, throughout history in America, every time something difficult happens, a crisis comes, uh, you know, a, a pandemic, or whatever, all these different things that are difficult on a nationwide scale. People have always turned to Jesus. People have always turned to God. People have always turned to religion. People have always turned to church. Um, And they said that these last year and a half in this pandemic and everything that's going on, for the first time ever, that hasn't happened. People have turned away from those things. I think it's a sifting. You know, it's as truth and biblical principles and Jesus get canceled out and censored, 
we're going to have to make a decision about which side we're on. But again, 100 times return on that investment. Don't forget that. I came across in our, our last Bible study of, of the fall semester, we were just finishing the book of James. James chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. It says, Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And Job, what do we know about Job? He's a very rich man, right? Very righteous man. Lost everything. Jesus allowed Satan to take everything from him. And I think we can learn something from that in regards to what we're talking about right now with possessions and whatnot. Possessions aren't necessarily the problem. Riches aren't necessarily the problem, right? Um, he had them, and they ended up being restored to him. But what did he learn through this? He learned a lot about who God was. He learned a lot about submission to God in spite of the difficulties and trials. You know, his cost might have been more how he handled the trials and what comes his way and what comes our way and, and trusting God. Um, It mentions the prophets here. I know Marlon's planning on doing a a series in the summer about some of the prophets. A couple of the prophets that entered my mind uh, when I read this was Jeremiah. He kind of reluctantly entered the Lord's service, but when he did that, he did it. He, He gave the messages that God wanted him to give. And from a earthly standpoint, like, life kind of sucked. He never really got to do much. He gave the messages that God wanted him to give, and he ended up in jail. Nobody ever listened to him. Some people look at that like, boy, you kind of wasted your life. You never had any fun. I bet you he's not sitting up in heaven saying, oh, I wish I'd had more fun on earth. He's not regretting it. Uh, Hosea. God told him to marry a prostitute. Like, he had to deal with all that past, he had to deal with all that unfaithfulness as they moved forward. And why did God do that? It was a picture of Israel and God's relationship, but not a very fun life to live, really. But I guarantee he's not sitting up in heaven saying, man, I wish I'd have done something different here and just done my own thing. They understood. They, they endured they understood that reward. And it's different for everybody. Again, Job got it all back. He lived a pretty, I don't know, I mean, I, I, from what I read, pretty fun life, had a lot of stuff, had a, a lot of people around him. Um, but he learned a lot about God, about his knowledge of God was really increased. His submission to God was really increased. Um, I really like listening to Francis Chan. Uh, and I listened to one not too long ago. I actually shared it with our college study. And he, he talked about, you know, if this was the last chance I had to talk to the group that he was talking to, what would, what would, what would I say? What would God want me to say? 
I think to kind of wrap this up, we're going to look at one more passage, uh, Matthew 7, 13 through 23. It says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will answer them, announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. So I don't want those who are saved to question their salvation, but this is the most important thing, right? You know, over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of difficult things in this church. There's, you know, people have left. There's been death. There's been tragedy of various sorts. There's been sickness. There's been, uh, you know, a house fire. There's been all these different things that I care about, we as leaders, we care about all those things. As a church family, hopefully we care about each other enough to help each other through these times and meet each other's needs and everything, but that's not the most important thing. Uh, This is, it says, enter through the narrow gate. Verse 14, he talks about it's difficult. Difficult kind of indicates a cost, right? That's what we've been talking about today, that there's a cost. If, it, if it's not difficult, something is probably wrong. But yet it's great. You know, again, this cost up front, benefit in the back. Um, but this idea of only a few finding it. This road less traveled. And that's the road that Jesus wants us to take. It's, it can be difficult. Uh, let's look at 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's not just something we say. Salvation doesn't just come by saying something. It is a simple choice. But there's repentance. It's an action, right? Repentance is an action word. It's a change of mind, which leads to a change of action. In this case, doing God's will. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. Look at those other passages. He talks about being my disciple. You can't be my disciple unless you do my Father's will. And verse 22 and 23, you know, this is the part, this is kind of a scary part. You don't want to be one of these people, right? One of these people that, and these examples are big. I mean, I guess I don't know anybody who does miracles in God's name, but, you know, he used these examples and, you insert what you want. You, I went to church all my life. I, I led music. I taught Sunday school. I did things for you, but was it really for him? 
That's what he's saying. There's people that are doing things for him, but is he really the center of their life, or are they tacking him on? The next parable after that treasure in the field parable was about fish and being sorted. Everybody gets sorted in the end. Good fish go one place, bad fish go the other. We all get sorted at the end. Um, I'm not going to do this illustration, but I'm going to bring it up because I think it's such a a great illustration. And Again, this is a a Francis Chan thing. I can't take the credit for this idea, but... He uses this, illust- this rope illustration, and he's got this long rope that goes out of the build or out of the room or whatever, and you know, simulating our lives are just the end of this rope. He's got it taped off, and then the rest of it's eternity, right? And what we do here affects here, and that's what we keep reading about today: is what we do here affects all this. So why why are people only living for this? And even more so, he, he brings this up, and I thought this was pretty amazing. So many people, they, they're not even living for this. They're living for this. They're living for retirement. Like, it, when I go to a training, I mean, Bernie, you probably uh, remember a lot of this talk when you were working as a deputy. Too. Everybody, is, how long is it till you retire? You know, that's the talk around the trainings and everything. Oh, six, six years and 27 days, like... People got it figured out. It's like that's, they're so focused on getting to that so they can enjoy their life. It's like, yeah, that's so stupid. Uh, but what, you know, we get so many examples of pe- people starting well and ending crappy. I mean, I'm, we're not going to read this, but write this down if you're looking for some reading this afternoon or this week. Second Chronicles chapters 14 through 16 about King Asa. He started really well, he lived really well, and in the end, he just totally just blew it. And, like, we don't want to be like that, right? We, we want to be like Paul. We want to keep our eyes on the prize. We want to keep uh, living for him all the way through. Um, on, the, on your study sheets, these aren't direct quotes. They're more just thoughts, but there are some things that I thought of as I was preparing this or heard, like this John MacArthur one at the top. I heard this on the radio one day, and I'm like, boy, that fits really well. And basically the idea was that, you know, you get this analogy of going up this mountain. And as you go, you got all your possessions with you and whatever, and as you're going, it gets harder, right? But to keep going, you got to start leaving stuff behind. And so many people, like, they just get to this mountain prairie, and they're like, eh, I'd rather just keep my tent, I'd rather keep my possessions, I'd rather just stay here, and then I can kind of see up the mountain or whatever, but in order to go up further, you've got to leave this stuff behind. Um, <clears throat> this next one I thought was really good. Again, not a direct quote, but kind of a thought. Uh, I was listening to Chip one day, and um, he said, God doesn't want or need our time, our money, our possessions, our religious activities, he wants our obedience first and foremost. Like, he does want all this other stuff, but he wants our obedience first and foremost. This next one is kind of what I was just talking about with Francis Chan. You know, he, he talks about 
why would we want to live our lives to set ourselves up for just these few short years when we could be setting ourselves up for eternity? You know, James talks about our life being like a vapor. It's short. Um, and this last one, I really think priorities and cost have a real relationship with each other. And Chip Bingram, he talks about evaluating your priorities. And all you have to do is look at how you spend your time and then open up your checkbook or your credit card statement or whatever and see how you're spending your money. And you're going to get a pretty good idea of what your priorities are, right? How you spend your time and your money. Um, and that's, that's going to have a, a real direct correlation to this idea of this cost. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, this, this can be a, a difficult message, I think, at, at times, but it's in your word. It is reality of how you want us to live. We want to be a church that speaks the truth. And Lord, I'm thankful for the people in this building and that we can get together, people of like faith and and just look at your word and look at what you have to say and dig into this. Um, it kind of brings us to everybody has to acknowledge whether they believe that you are king and Lord or not. And then from that, that, that demands a response from us of whether we are going to acknowledge you as king and Lord of our own lives um, and, and our master. We don't want to tack you on. We want to take this narrow road, this road less traveled that you have told us to take. And I just pray for your wisdom, your strength, your blessing, and we just want to give you praise and ask these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, Anthony. We're going to be doing I Have Decided to Follow Jesus, which I'm sure many of you know, probably all of you know. For people who have already decided to follow Jesus, um, you're going to just be kind of celebrating the fact that you have done that and what that's been like for you. Because you know, even though there's a cost, it's a good thing. It's quite a journey, and it's a good journey. Um, if you have not yet decided to follow Jesus, then I would encourage you to consider the cost. Think about making that decision. So please stand.